Welcome to Real Talk for Real Teachers. I'm Dr. Becky Bailey, the creator of Conscious Discipline, an expert in child development and education, and a lifelong teacher and learner. For those listening who are not aware of Conscious Discipline, it is a comprehensive self-regulation program that integrates social-emotional learning, culture, and discipline. In general, it provides adults and children with the skills to be disciplined enough to set and achieve goals, conscious enough to know we're off track, and connected enough to others so we are willing to persevere. So what are real teachers? Many of the real teachers that have joined this podcast are also real parents. Many real teachers work all day with children and go home to spend the rest of their time with their own family and own children. Real teachers who use conscious discipline know two important things. One, it is easier to practice conscious discipline on other people's children than your own. And two, the skills they are learning at school are just as important at home and with all your relationships. Real Talk for Real Teachers is a growing community of loving professionals who seek to love themselves as much as they love others. Today, we're talking about parenting. Often, conscious discipline is known for teachers, something for teachers, but it's also a parenting program for parents. And one of the people who have made that a reality from the beginning is the person I've invited today, who is Jenny Luther. Now, Jenny started with me 20 years ago. That's when Conscious Discipline started. She was the first master instructor. So it was Jenny and myself talking to anyone who would basically listen and many who didn't even want to listen. Uh, We started back in the day where the arms were folded and people were like, hmm, what if this? What if that? And we, we were able to set and achieve our goals and persevered. Jenny has been a teacher of pre-kindergarten children with exceptional needs for eight years, a speech pathologist for 10 years. She's the owner of Peaceful Parenting since 1994. That is her parenting business, and she's been doing conscious discipline with that business for a very long time, and she's going to share that with us. She was a single parent of two children during her young years and a parent of four children in a blended family later in life. Welcome, Jenny, to Real Talk for Real Teachers. Oh, I'm so glad to be here, Becky. I feel honored. Yeah, me too. It's been a fun 20 years, I'll tell you that. Yes, it has. Yes, it has. A fun and a hard one. So here we go. So, Jenny, tell us how, because you're the first one to really get into conscious discipline for parents. Why did you lean towards parents? and, And what's that passion there? And how did that all come about? Well, it came about years before actually I met you, which was with my youngest son. I was a single parent and divorcing at the time, and he was five months, and I had a two-and-a-half-year-old, uh, my two-and-a-half-year-old Nick, and then there was Bart. And when Bart turned 18 months old, I was actually terrified of him. I was working as a professional on an interdisciplinary team with the 12 worst emotionally challenged children in the county of Shemong in New York. And I would go home to a child that was behaving worse than any of them. So I was scared to death of him because there were temper tantrums that were 45 minutes long. I was a stressed parent. I felt like all I was doing was fighting with him. And I was actually scared. And one day he uh, just pushed my button and I came home. I was tired of working with pre-K kids all day. 
and I watched myself act stupid. I went into the, I went into my kitchen and did exactly what my parents did. Pulled out a wooden spoon, put it in oh, front of his face. You got the spoon. I got the spoon. <laughs> put it in his face. I can't even remember what he did, but I remember my actions. And I put it in front of his face and said, "If you do that again, I'm going to spank you." And he turns with his grin on his face. He turns around, pulls his pants down, and he goes, "Come on, spank me, mommy." <laughs> And at that moment, all the blood rushed from my face down to my feet somewhere. But I had a vision of him turning into a serial killer by the time he was 16. And I was scared to death. It was an epiphany for me. And I realized after pondering for a few seconds that I must have been a frightening scene to him. And I scared him to death. And I realized it really was never about him. It was about me. So then was began my journey. And that that was in probably 1988. So I started seeking a lot of different approaches because the traditional approach of the rewards, the punishments, I tried everything. I tried time out. I tried restraining him. I tried rewards. I tried punishment. None of it worked. So there, I had to find another way. And I came upon your book, There's Got to Be a Better Way. After beginning my business of peaceful parenting, I, I discovered that it was really about me. It wasn't about him. So I really worked hard on myself to give a different response to him because I knew my response had a huge impact in how he responded. Well, that took some reflection and that took a lot of courage. I think parents listening have come to that point where it's like, oh, no, this is this is really getting out of hand and, and I don't have a clue of what to do especially with these very, very difficult temperament children that just challenge you to death. So when did it all kind of come together for you? And you said, okay, I'm going to start these classes and I'm going to do this. Did you start right away or did you study for yourself? What happened? No, then? I really studied for myself. I started doing a lot of introspective kind of self-growth courses and I, I started with a positive parenting course that I took that I decided then it made sense to me because I started some of the positive, connected, relationship-based parenting with him, and it was making a difference. And I did that for a few years until I met you, and especially at a brain workshop. It was your first, you were doing a tour, I think you were taking a sabbatical from UCF. And right. you, I remember that. Yeah. You had stacks of transparencies and did your first six day brain smart start workshop or day training. And that was the piece for me that really, really put it all together for me and said, okay, that was when my brain connected with my heart. And I said, this is the way to do this because this is the way parents are going to understand. I had a lot of other programs, parents say, well, where's the proof? Where's the research? What's what? This is just theory. You brought the science to it that really solidified it for me. And that's when I was at that workshop. You actually said to me, you know, I'm quitting UCF. and I'm going to do an institute uh, next year. I'm going to do a conscious discipline. You said, I'm writing the book, <laughs> which it wasn't totally written yet, but we're having an institute. <laughs> do you want to come? So I immediately went home and I registered for the institute that wasn't even really established yet. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think we had it in an old comedy club and we sat in cigarette smoke and... Right, right. Yeah, it was a fun time. It uh, was. 
So now you start peaceful parenting and and you're integrating conscious discipline into what you're teaching. Correct. So, uh, and how's it going with BART? Can you tell a difference now? Once you got into conscious discipline, can you tell a difference with BART? Well, I think BART was my biggest success story. I remember I had that vision of him being a serial killer. Truly, I was scared for his future and I was scared for my future with him. So I knew I had to do something different. And so when I started this, suddenly here was this child that felt empowered and took his own personal power back as I took my own personal power back. And he he had an agenda for his life. He was going to do it his way. He wanted to be in service to the country. And he ended up graduating with a 4.0 average, all with scholarships at U of F and was a cadet in ROTC. So he graduated as an officer and he served in Iraq as a tank commander for a year. But then he came back home. And the irony of it is he was tragically murdered by uh, one of his soldiers when he returned five months after he returned, when he's actually going to try to help the soldier who was struggling with his discharge. And it was such a tragedy, but uh, it, without conscious discipline, I never would have managed that tragedy that most parents would say, I could never imagine this. I could never handle this. And it was conscious discipline that helped me to say, I can do that. And Jenny, I know this because I was there with you throughout some things, but I also know that uh, the young man who murdered your son was also very challenging as a child. It was. He was kind of like a young Bart himself that didn't get what Bart got. Correct. And it was just to tell a little story about it. uh, I remember about four months uh, after after he died. Uh, I was sitting with my husband after he had recovered from uh, knee surgery and he was finally cognizant again, not without pain. And he was watching me sit at the couch and he said, you know, I, we haven't had a time to talk a lot about this. You know, who are you angry about? Who are you angry with, with this whole thing? Because the circumstances lent itself to lots of questions around how he was murdered. But the bottom line was I was angry with the police. I was angry with the army that had not, you know, thought twice about sending him over to this soldier's house. I was angry with the dispatcher that didn't get Bart off the balcony when he was shot. And I was angry with everybody. I was angry with myself. I was even angry at Bart. I thought, oh, stupid. Why did he do that? Why didn't he pay attention? And yet I stopped and my husband looked, said to me, Jack said to me, Well, it's interesting that you've named just about everybody but Jody, the person who killed him. And I I just pondered for a moment. I was sort of surprised. I was in awe of my own response. And I pondered it for a couple of days. And then I realized that I could not be mad at Jody. He came from an environment that was homeless as a child, fatherless, a depressed mother, he struggled all his life in high school, but made it through. And then 9-11 came and he chose to go into to service to deal with his anger. And so he was always quoted as by his captain as not being really the right kind of person in, in service. But I remember thinking that 
this little Jody as a child had every potential to be the Bart, the shift, you know, and he never had the skills. And how could I be mad at him? Because he was exactly the person I feared Bart would become. And so with all this, I mean, I know all along you're doing parenting, but it it seems that your passion to help other parents has certainly deepened and helped many. So with all this going on, how did you, you continue doing your peaceful parenting? Now, how do you set that up? How, how do you run those classes? Do you have them once a week, twice a week? I mean, well, how do you do this? I used to have classes on a weekly basis, but that's just not feasible for parents anymore. So I do once a month, hour and a half, empowering parent groups much of the time. And they're usually requested by early childhood centers or schools. So the ve- they hold the venue for having these monthly meetings and they're actually run by parents. And I find that to be the most powerful because those parents are sharing their inspiration about learning about conscious discipline with other parents. And so it's kind of informal. Sometimes it's formal. Sometimes I do workshops for parents and they come and it'll be a two hour and in a school where uh, the PTA uh, is involved or something like that. You know, they have some sort of funding source or they charge the parents to come. But the essence is they come and they, they like it best when they get little bits of information. They can't handle a lot because they're coming at the end of the day. They can handle little skills at a time, not big skills at a time, and little bits about themselves and their self-growth because that's the most important part is the self-growth. So now when you first started, I mean, you kind of discovered the empowered parenting, right? When, but when right. you first started back in the day, you had, you had the classes. So let's do from the beginning. So when you first had your classes, how did that go? And then we'll move up and talk more about these empowered parenting groups that are so powerful. Yeah, so I would start with classes um, with schools, with the support of a school. And I started with easy to love, difficult to discipline, because that's the parenting book that speaks so loudly to parents. Because there are so many stories in that book that parents can relate to. And so I started with that format, doing formal workshops, interaction, interactive activities for two hours a night for six to seven weeks. And back in the day, you know, 15 years ago, people had the time to do that, but they don't have the time to do that. So that that's how I started. And then from there, sometimes parents would want me to come in their homes or they would want me to observe their child at school. And then I could support the teachers at school who weren't doing conscious discipline, but I would sort of manage to give them some conscious discipline skills or techniques or you know, some ideas that they didn't know were conscious discipline, but very helpful. Yeah. So you had these classes at first and they spread. I mean, you were, Mm -hmm. I mean, you're quite the guru. I mean, I, I watch these parents. I've seen you in interacting and how much they appreciate and admire what you've done for them. So you did these groups and things kind of spread all over And then you had kind of a a following, so to speak. Would you agree to that? Right. And I still, I I remember one parent I had, he followed me for eight years. He came to every single class I did. And I used to give, 
certificates. And at one point I said, you've got enough certificates to wallpaper your bathroom for goodness <laughs> sake. <laughs> and, you know, I would say and used to think as I would come to you as well, Becky, you know, why do you keep coming back? You, you know, you've heard this once, but it is such a transformational process that you only hear what you're ready to hear in a moment. Right. And so the depth of this never ends. It's, it's a, it's a journey, not a destination. So you're always learning at a deeper level. And as I'm teaching, I learn at a deeper level. And every time they come, they get something new. So I could have told them, after seven years, the, Jimmy would come to me and go, you never said that before. And I said, oh, I know. no, I've always said that. You just never heard it. <laughs> I know. That's what people said to me. You know, they'll say to me, wow, I just, I heard you last year. I don't know why you didn't tell us this. Or I heard you five years ago. Why didn't you tell me then? And I'm like, I'm staying the same thing. Oh, you can't be. So it's definitely one of those things that, you know, as the students ready, the teacher appears kind of thing. So now you've got all these parents that are at different levels and different places in their journey. And so now tell us about these empowered parent groups, because now you're, you're sharing power and people are really chewing on this and sharing information and teaching one another uh, with your guidance. Is that what's happening? Yes, that's very much what's happening. So this is your pay it forward concept that, that transforms in early childhood centers, in families. So I discovered that, you know, some people would come to the classes and then they'd say, but we want more. And so I started the empowered parent groups to go deeper with parents that had already taken the classes. And invariably new people would show up because the parent tells a friend who tells a friend and then the friends come and they all come together. And so that's how they, they empower each other. And so I decided that the first time I ran the group, second time the school sort of monitored it, but then none, none of that was working. So what I did was I employed some parents. I didn't employ them. I just asked them, would they take the real passionate ones that were really working it and following everything I was doing, say, would you be willing to run this group? And I'll just show up. You run the group. You decide the topics. You decide. It all ends up being conscious discipline anyway. They can pick any topic they want. And I guide them with the topics. And so that evolved into, you know, some of the centers that I've been doing this in for a while, wanting it every year. And they'll do it for anywhere from seven months to 10 months, depending on um, you know, the availability of the venue. So, and what the parent really wants to do, but the parent is the one that does all the talking, all the advertising, the emailing. They're the ones that talk the talk. They talk it and talk it up. So it works much better that way. Oh, that is so exciting. So now do you remember any specific parent or a specific story about in this meeting you know, an aha or a struggle you see the parents having. Can you kind of pop off the top of your head some of the top three struggles or give yeah. us something specific here? Well, typically parents, I get several questions that are pretty common. One is, have I ruined my child? It, you know, is it fixable? And once they understand about the brain and they once they understand all of that the plasticity and all of that, they understand that they can change it anytime they want to and they, that you can't ruin a child. So that's 
one thing. Um, but another is the power struggles. I think that's, that's probably the number one question I get is how can I get my child to eat their, go to sleep, get up in the morning, get dressed, get out the door. Uh, those very typical things. It's around transitions and routines. And just a simple story, which is so common, is to start with the visual routines with them. I can't tell you how many people come to me and they're like, I cannot believe how my morning routine has changed. They, it's, it's just phenomenal. They're so excited. And I think, I think the thing that really is the biggest success that I see with parents is when they start making a connection with themselves and start treating themselves with the skills and they start using the powers on their own selves, they can then really transfer that connection to children in a really meaningful way. Instead of okay, so, trying to yeah. just do the skill is to really work on themselves. So let's, let's, let's just go back for the listeners here who might not understand all that. So you mentioned one important concept, uh, visual routines. Right. So for the, for the parents listening, let me see if I can just state this out. So you take pictures of the procedure of say getting dressed or going to bed or whatever the routine is eating breakfast. Correct. And then you just put them into a little book, someplace they can see them and let the children like a, it'd be like our to-do list or a checklist. Exactly. So it's a visual checklist for them so they can go for a, to a reference and say, okay, here's what I'm doing now. Here's what I'm doing next. Have I got it? That's exactly right. Sometimes it can be a book or it can just be as simple as on a file folder where they have simple pictures, which you can get so easily now on the internet. It's just so simple to get those and download them and whatever the routine is and having them take ownership by having choice with it and what they're going to do within the boundaries. They feel so empowered and it helps to organize them and build their predictability. So it's the predictability that most children don't have that most parents don't realize. So, right. Yeah. And so once, once they start those and they start giving opportunities to give choices rather than to get into power struggles and understand that they can't make a child do anything, that they have opportunity to provide choice within the boundaries, they start to get it. They start to get it. And it's just the little successes. It doesn't take much, even with, um, the connection. When they start the rituals, they start an I love you ritual, which is a very uh, a very intimate or intimacy ritual of love with children that's short and simple and sweet can make a huge difference. Coming home from work and doing a ritual before you get started into that routine at night is so valuable to a child. And they notice a huge difference and their willingness and their cooperation for the evening routine. Yeah, and so with those rituals, you know, we're we're turning we're talking about turning face to face, you know, and it right. could be as simple as let's just make a fun little handshake or it could be, you know, I'm going to kiss your your nose. I'm going to catch and kiss that nose. I mean, so they're they're simple little moments that you connect with them. But also you talked about the powers of conscious discipline, you know, and those are 
sometimes overlooked. So for those who are, who are listening, we have seven powers and we have seven skills in conscious discipline, and the powers are for the adults. For an example, one of them would be no one can make you angry without your permission. In other words, they trigger our anger, but they're not making us anger. They stepped in a landmine we've been carrying around for a long time, or we were just hungry and tired that day, just like the children, and they did something we didn't like. So once we learn to take back our power, like you said, then we can give it to children. So how do you go about sharing these powers uh, to the parents? Do you talk about them? What's your process there? I say what the power is first. That's the most important piece to me because, again, it starts with us. In that moment, I had that wooden spoon in front of Bart's face. I can imagine the impact that my response was having on him. So I completely lost it. And I know that if I change that response, which is my response, it's me, it's not him, that that can have a huge positive impact on him. So that starts with that first one, which is your composure. And so I talk about a story. I'll tell a story about that, you know, about how I was either out of control or a story of someone who was out of control and just using that skill of calming down and being able to see it a little differently because it's the power of perception is to see this kind of as a call for help instead of this child's driving me crazy. It's my upset state. And then I have them reflect a little on what are your stories? What story taught you to be feel triggered? So if a child's trigger is whining, for instance, which is my trigger, the child whines, that would be my trigger. I recognize that I'm feeling upset about that because when I was a child and I whined, I was abandoned. I was told to go outside if I was going to act like that. And so when my child whined, I said, I'm not going to listen to you. I am not going to listen to you. Not until you change what you do. And that same response was coming up. So isn't it interesting how we do it in different ways? You know, how when you whined, your parents sent you, uh, you sent you away. And, and when your child then whined, you didn't send them away, but I'm not going to talk to you. I mean, another form of I'm not listening. I don't see, I don't hear you. The form changed, but the abandonment was still present. Exactly. Exactly. So, and that, that reminds me of that funny story. You want me to tell? Okay. Yeah. I want you to tell you. Uh, Yeah. It'd be nice to hear a funny story after we had that reflection moment. (laughs) Yeah. So a, a perfect example of this was when I was a single parent and I did singly parent regardless of my ex being involved, he would, there was no support there financially or in any other way. So I was going to 12 preschoolers who were emotionally, severely emotionally challenged all day long in a psychiatric center and then coming home to two preschoolers. And so, you know, you have those days where you just, you don't have it. You know, my conscious discipline or whatever just goes out the window. Out the window. It's, yep. it's tabled for tonight and I'm giving <laughs> myself full permission to do that. So I wasn't at the time very conscious, really truthfully, but I remember coming home and I went to the store to get milk. And of course, I forgot to get the milk. I got everything else. So there's a sign of stress right there. So I was very frustrated walking through the door. And here's Bart, who was the most precocious child, very gifted. He had the language of a four-year-old when he was just two. So, you know, we get home and he starts 
mommy, 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 mommy. And Nick is mommy, mommy, mommy. I want this mommy. I want that. You know, and I just kind of snapped. And I, I just decided this was an abandoned moment. I couldn't take one more moment. I was too stressed. I was not calm. And I just said, that's it. I'm done being your mom. I am not your mom anymore. From now on, I'm George. And I put my stuff down and I said, George is going upstairs to my bedroom. And I marched upstairs to my bedroom, closed the door. And here's these two-year-old and four-year-old downstairs. And my older one, who's precious and flexible, comes running up the stairs, pitter-patter. Mommy, mommy, you can't, you can't, you're my mommy. You can't not be my mommy. You can't not be my mommy. And then the other pitter-patter comes running up the stairs saying nothing with a little binky in his mouth. He starts pounding on my door. Bart starts pounding on my door. He goes, George, get out here right now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, uh, out of the mouths of babes. I I mean, isn't it great? It was perfect. And of course, I couldn't stop laughing. It just took me right out of my stress state and I came out and it was, it was such an eye opener for me. But But truly, I just didn't have the skills. I did the best that I could. And I think that's one thing I want parents to know is that you're never going to do this perfectly. You're going to get continue to get triggered. They're going to trigger you more than they trigger anybody else because you're the parent. They come to you to get soothed. And you're the one, no matter what they do, that you're going to love unconditionally. You're going to love them. So they come to you and it's, it's, you're just never going to do it perfect. So there's, it's a constant, constant oopsing experience. Yes, it is. And, and that brings up something. So, you know, have you seen in your experience with your own children and all the parents that you've helped that even little changes make a big difference? I mean, it's it's like, you know, you look at conscious discipline and it's kind of a big elephant and, you know, there's seven skills and seven powers and there's all of all these rituals and about connecting and all this. But it doesn't take that whole book to to make a huge difference, does it? It really doesn't. And I, I say when I first started, the first thing I did was I said, "Okay, I've got to keep it simple, which means it's got to be something that I think I can do. And I've got to be persistent about it. So keep it simple and keep practice, 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 practice till I got it. So the thing that felt simple to me, because I was in power struggles all the time, Bart and I were just in this huge power struggle all the time because we're a lot alike. And so I knew I had to work on choices. So the first thing I did was work on choices for myself. So a lot of my inner speech was, I should, I should, I have to, I've got to, this has to get done, I should, which all, all that message behind that was that I'm not in, in control of myself, I don't have the power, the rest of the world controls me, and I'm not enough in this moment. So I changed that to, I could, I could be doing this, but I'm choosing not to. I could be doing that, but I'm choosing not to. I could choose to do that, but I'm not. And that was very, very helpful because should was my mother's middle name. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that is a something powerful for all of us. If we change our shoulds to our coulds, we give ourselves choice. And if we give ourselves choice, there's a good chance we're truly going to give our children choices. It, it just makes it makes it so much easier to actually implement it with children once you do it with yourself. That's what I found the most powerful 
with conscious discipline is working on myself. And I still have moments. Some skills are easier than other skills. I say go with one that feels easy with you and practice it so you can experience the success, and which will inspire you to keep wanting more. Because little successes are huge. I mean, you give a choice of the red cup or the blue cup or maybe juice or milk at dinner time, and your child chooses juice. Well, think of the comparison when you got the power struggle the night before where the juice went all over the floor and they threw the cup across the room and for 20 minutes you're screaming and shouting and that's it, no dinner. And now if you're not going to eat your dinner, you're going to have it for breakfast. And the whole thing that goes on that's avoided by just giving a simple choice that they were able to make. And, you know, as you move into this uh, a deeper level of conscious discipline, I think you've alluded to this over and over again. Whatever that behavior, the child that you have the hardest time with is is a gift for you to understand your own wounds. It's a place where your parents didn't know what to do with you at that point. Their parents didn't know what to do with them. So this is a generational thing that we pass down until we realize that their, quote, obnoxious behavior is really a way for us to heal ourselves. Have you come across that at all? Oh, millions of times. I mean, I've always said that my son Bart was my biggest teacher. I mean, we just went through this journey together and it seemed like it was a contract. Every time, you know, I had issues with assertiveness, he would bring up boundary issues with me. So there's so many times that when he gets into his behavior, it's a reflection exactly what's going on for me. So I can heal the wound of my, I, I've got a story around this one, which is kind of funny too. So I'd love to hear it. Love well, to hear it. We all would. Well, so when Bart was 16 and I was, that was when it really actually started. So when he was 16, that was when you and I were sort of first starting. It was the first couple of years. And so um, I was practicing on teenagers, which was a little bit different. But I realized that Bart was one of these, he pushed my buttons with boundaries all the time. And I remember he had come home from being in Portugal for a year and he, w- he had a job, but he, he didn't have his license yet. And so uh, I was going to go to work out at a class in the morning and, and, he, and the night before he said, mom, can you take me to work? And I said, I'm happy to take you to work if you're ready by 930. I know you don't have to be there till 10, but if you're ready by 930, because my class starts at 10. And he said, Okay. So the next morning I got up and my issue was assertiveness for sure. And so I get up and I'm ready to go and it's 25 after nine and he comes strolling out in his whitey tidies into the kitchen, opening and yawning his mouth, looking for something to eat. And I said, Bart, you remember, I said, I'm not going to give you a ride unless you're ready by 930. He says, I know, I know, I got it handled. Well, of course, he wasn't going to get it handled. So immediately I go into my anxious, angry state. I start pacing and cleaning and get going, get going, get going, get going. And so uh, he's not going. So he's, he goes slowly and it's now like 20 of and he's got his uniform on, but he doesn't have his shoes on. And I said, that's it. That's it. I'm going. I'm going. You're going to have to find your own ride to work. You're just going to have to find your own ride to work. So I go out the door and I get in the car and I'm just sitting there seething and I slam on the horn. Nothing happens. And then I go back inside, open the door and there he is tying his shoes very slowly on the chair uh, by the door. And I said, 
I told you I was leaving. I mean it this time. I'm really going to leave. So I went back in my car, backed up, went around the circle, drove for about 800 feet, pulled in somebody's driveway, backed out, went back home. And there he was in the driveway with his arms crossed. And he got into the car. And I immediately realized at that point that he was teaching me how to set boundaries and that my teach I was teaching him how not to set boundaries. So I, you know, here I'd been teaching around the country, I'd been teaching this stuff, and I just couldn't really get it with him. I whatever my fears were, it was around him missing work or whatever. So he got in the car and I proceeded to go one side down the other, screaming at the top of my lungs at him, screaming, I am so mad at myself. I am mad at myself because I have not set boundaries for you that are clear. I am teaching you not how to respect boundaries and not to set them for yourself. And I've been doing this too long. And I just want you to know, I am so angry at myself. I am not going to do this again. Do you understand? I'm I'm screaming at him the whole way to Red Lobster. And he's looking at me with these wide eyes. And he, I stop at the Red Lobster and he gets out. He goes, okay, 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 mom. Okay, okay. See you later. He leaves. And for the next three hours, I just worked out at the, at the gym, just trying to, you know, schluff off this yeah, the angry. Yeah, off the adrenaline. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was like, it was at that moment I made a decision. I'm never going to do that again. And when I got back in the car later on, I said, Bart, I'm sorry that I yelled. I was yelling at myself. And I also want you to know, you can count on me to follow through next time. Absolutely at 100%. And I did after that. But it took years, years for me to do that. But what a great lesson, you know, and for those uh, assertives is just saying what you mean and meaning what you say. And, and, and once you can do that, then others can trust. And once they can trust that what you say, uh, they also can trust this, these three magic words, which I'd like to say to you right now, Jenny. I love you. Oh, I so love you too. So you can trust those words. And so we're going to wind this up. So if you've got three steps for tomorrow, three things for parents, what would be your number one thing you'd say to all parents listening? I would say, number one, that connection is the key, is to be present with your children when they're in your presence. It doesn't have to be all the time, but when they're sharing their life, in an emotional state of happiness or upset, that you are present with them. Uh, Because in that presence, you're connected. That's all they want is to be seen. They want you to share their life with them at an emotional level. And it is also the key to willingness. You will not get any willingness without connection. So that's with regard to power struggles is really, really important. It's the relationship you have. Secondly, is to quit taking it personally. So much of what they do and why they do what they do and how they do what they do has to do with development. It has nothing to do with you. It has to do with their perception of the world, their perception of their experience in that moment. So quit taking it personally. It's an opportunity for growth. And then I would say also, Uh, You are not the happy police. It is not your job to happy up your children. It's their their job to get through their life. They have their agenda for what their journey is here. And you you happying them up prevents them from building any kind of resiliency or sense of 
self-regulation to be able to um, manage their life and allow you to believe in them more than they believe in themselves. Beautiful. And one more would be, okay, I'm ready for it. Be the calm in their storm. The hardest thing to do is to calm yourself before you speak. Just take some deep breaths and calm yourself so you can be present with them because the words will come. It's not your job to fix it. It's your job to be present with them and connect with them in your calm state. So that's what I would say. Beautiful. Beautiful. And I would say that your journey with BART is certainly eternal and Mm -hmm. has brought a lot of parents to an understanding, including you, and also it brought the bigger, grander world to something greater than we can all imagine, which is called forgiveness. And your ability to understand Jody, who killed your son, mm-hmm. and wish for him that he would have had the skills he needed to, to do life differently, teaches us all that love is forgiveness. And there's nothing greater than that. And for that, there's a, a piece of art that's in my soul and in everybody's soul. And we appreciate you so much sharing him with us. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And for those listening, until next time, I wish you well. For more episodes of Real Talk with Real Teachers by Dr. Becky Bailey, visit ConsciousDiscipline.com forward slash podcasts. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. In this episode, you heard Jenny mention her son, Bart, who was murdered after coming back from Afghanistan. She has a BartsBlueStar.org foundation, and she uses the money donated to Bart's Blue Star to help people get scholarships to come to Conscious Discipline. I encourage you to go to bartsbluestar.org and contribute if your heart is called to do so.